Well, we are glad that you are here. We are in a series called The Hunt, and it's not all about shooting pastors per se, but it is, it is all, about, all about shooting for this one particular phrase that God said to a guy named David when he referred to David as a man after God's own heart. Yeah, you got to pick up and go over here, yeah. Can't leave your husband on your own. So this whole series is all about this phrase, a man after God's own heart. Now, the question we've been, we've been looking at for the past couple of weeks is how do we become somebody like that? How do we get described as, as a man or a woman, a person after God's own heart? So two weeks ago, what we talked about is how do you do that? You have to first examine your own heart. That's step one in becoming a, a person after God's own heart. Examine your own heart. It's uh, what John Christ would say. He would say, check your heart. You got to check your heart before, before you do anything else. Examine your heart. Figure out what's in heart, in your own heart. If you want to be a person after God's own heart, first be honest about what's in your heart, which is why Jesus says in Luke 6.45, he says, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You want to know what's on inside of your heart? Listen to what you talk, talk about. What comes out of your heart is what your mouth speaks. So that's step one in becoming a person after God's own heart. Now step two in becoming a person after God's own heart, we talked about this last week, is to take out whatever giant stands between you and God. We all have giants. We all have things, barriers between us and God. If you want to be described as a person after God's own heart, what giant stands in your way between you and God? Now, perhaps you're not the most equipped. You're not the most trained. You don't have all the education. But if you have God on your side, if God is in your heart, he's on your side, which is why Paul said this to the Romans in Romans 8.31. He said, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, what can be against us? So that being said, those are step one and two. Uh, examine your heart and, and get rid of whatever giant stands between you and God. Today, we're going to be looking at step three and how to become a person after God's own heart. So that being said, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. Again, 1 Samuel is in the Old Testament. It's the ninth book of the Bible. So go over to Genesis and keep flipping on over until you find 1 Samuel 18. Now, to catch you up to speed, let me give you a little bit of an idea as far as what's going on in the story. David, uh, everybody say David. David is a little shepherd's boy. He's the youngest of eight brothers. He's not the most equipped. He's not the most trained. But his dad one day said, David, will you bring some of your brothers who are in the Israelite army, will you bring them some food so they can be better sustained? So he, he leaves his sheep behind. He goes to the army. Uh, he goes to the front, the front battle lines where the Israelites are, are battling the Philistines. And so he sees this, this giant out there named Goliath who's taunting the Israelite army. So David says to King Saul, King Saul, will you put me in? Will you let me go after this guy? King Saul's reluctant, but finally he says, okay, David, go for it. He goes out there. You know the story. He's got five stones in his pocket. He shoots one stone off at Goliath while Goliath is coming towards him, and he kills the giant. Right after that, he goes and cuts the head off the giant and starts walking around with the head of Goliath through the Israelite camp. Now, that is where we pick up the story uh, in, in uh, 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18, verse 2. From that day forward, after they cut, after he cut off the head of Goliath, from that day forward, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. Now, I, I know this is 3,000 years ago that this story is taking place, but where I come from, that's called kidnapping. <laughs> Remind you, David is a teenager. Theologians, historians believe he's anywhere from 15 to 19 years old. King Saul's like, I'm not letting you go home, kid. But apparently that's normal 3,000 years ago. I don't really know. So, so David stays with King Saul, and he starts going into battle after battle after battle, mission after mission after mission, and he becomes successful in all that he does. Look at the next verse, verse 5. Whatever mission Saul sent David on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. Now, we probably all know somebody like this. Everything they do, they're successful. 
they're successful at it. Everything they touch turns to gold. We all know people that just have natural talents and abilities. David is going out mission after mission, and he's kicking butt and taking names for the Israelite army. Verse 6, when the men were returning home after David had killed Goliath, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. Now you might be wondering, what is a timbrel and lyre? A lyre is not just your brother-in-law. It's a musical instrument. It's like a harp. It's a... That's my rendition of a harp. That's what a lyre is. A timbrel is closer to this. It's closer to a, a tambourine. So David is coming back from the battlefields. The whole army, the Israelite army, are coming back, and there's all these hometown parades. They're walking into these towns, and all the women are coming out. They're like, oh, you're so awesome. You're the soldiers. Welcome home. But really, the party was really for David because he was the one that killed Goliath. So more than likely, it was more like... Like, that's what's happening in the hometown. So, so David is probably pretty excited. He's pretty stoked about this because this is probably the best day of his life. All these people are coming out of their homes. Again, he's a young man coming out of their homes, and they're excited that he killed Goliath. They killed their top enemy. But perhaps you also have experienced this yourself. Sometimes, we, even during the best moments we have, sometimes we're heading into uncharted territory. You probably heard it said before, if you're not currently in a storm, you're heading towards one. That was the reality for David, and he didn't even know it. He's going town to town, village to village. All these people are coming out, and they're singing his song. They're singing praise songs. David, you're awesome. You're amazing. But the storm is about to hit for David. We continue on in the story. Verse 7. Verse Samuel 18, 7. As the women danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. They're singing songs about David, but imagine the scenario. King Saul and David are walking through the streets in these towns, and as they're walking through the streets, all the women are coming out. They're saying, David slayed tens of thousands. Saul, thousands. But David, tens of thousands. Now, if I'm David, I'd be like, listen, ladies, <laughs> I know I'm awesome. I know I've done really good, but don't say it so loud because King Saul's right here. He can hear what you're saying, but it was too late. King Saul heard. He heard their whispers. He heard their songs. And King Saul starts to get bitter. He starts to, to, to deal with resentment. And in fact, his heart opens up to something that we've all experienced, which is this, jealousy. He begins to have jealousy seep in and creep in to his heart. Now, it's important that we don't allow jealousy in our heart, which is why Solomon had said earlier, it says in Proverbs 4.23, he says, above all else, Guard your heart. For everything that you do flows from it. Your actions, your words, everything. If you don't guard your heart, you're open and susceptible to, to the enemy warfare. So guard your heart against envy and bitterness and rage and especially jealousy. Now, jealousy is especially corrosive to our hearts. It, it's especially corrosive. And the reason why is because jealousy makes us blind to our blessings. Jealousy makes us blind to what we already have. Consider this quote from Gary Allen. He said, you can be the moon and still be jealous of the stars. How true is that? You could be the moon and still be jealous of the stars. You see, oftentimes we envy what, what we don't have, but we forget what we do have. We desire what other people have, forgetting the gifts that we already have. We're jealous of what other people have, forgetting the blessings that we already have. Jealousy makes us blind to our blessings. King Saul is the king of Israel. 
He's got the top job. He has everything he could possibly want in the nation of Israel. He has, has all the servants. He has all the money, all the wealth, everything that he could possibly want. Yet he's still jealous of David. Jealousy will mess you up. And I don't know if you deal with jealousy. I don't know if you've ever struggled with this. If you're somebody who deals with jealousy, you envy what other people have, you, you desire what other people have, and you find yourself in that position quite frequently, how do you slay that giant? There's a simple antidote to, to killing off jealousy in your life, which is this. Serve. Serve somewhere. Serve anywhere. You see, there's something that's, something that's interesting that takes place. When you go and serve at a soup kitchen, you go serve the homeless, you go serve people who have less than you, it recalibrates your mind. It helps you understand what you have. It helps you focus on the blessings that you already have as opposed to being jealous of what you don't have. Go serve somewhere. Be selfless. This will help be the antidote to kill off this giant of jealousy. King Saul is dealing with jealousy. He has plenty. He's the king. He's got everything he could possibly want. But he's still be finding himself jealous, jealous of David because he did not guard his heart. 1 Samuel 18, 8. We continue on in the story. Saul was very angry. The song that he had heard from the women singing in the towns displeased him greatly. Saul thought, well, they have credited David with tens of thousands, but me with only thousands. What more can David get but the kingdom? Now, here's the irony to that statement. The kingdom, he was right. David was going to get the kingdom. God had already told David, you're going to get the kingdom. He, he, God had already told David, you're going to become the king of Israel. In fact, God had already told uh, King Saul as well, you're not going to have the kingdom anymore. You're not going to be the king anymore. You, you didn't honor my word. You didn't respect my word. So I'm going to reject you, and you as king because you've rejected my word. God has already told King Saul, you're not going to have the kingdom anymore. But here we see King Saul desperately holding on to this kingdom. holding on, Even though he knows this isn't what God has for me, he's holding on to it anyways. How many times do you and I, you know, this isn't what God has for me, but, but I want it anyways. How many times do you and I, we, you're like, I know this isn't God's will for my life, but I, I want it to be my will, so you go after it anyways. I know this isn't what God desires for me, but I desire it for me. I know this isn't what God wants for me, but I want it, and I want it now. We have to trust what God said through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 55, 8. This is what God says, the words of the Lord. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God knows best. God knows what you need. He knows your heart. He knows exactly what your needs are. And sometimes we don't trust him enough to say, okay, I know this is your will for my life, God. I'm going to let my will go. I know this is what you desire, so I'm going to trust that your desires are better than my desires. We have to trust that God's ways are better than our ways. His ways are higher than our, our ways. We may not always understand it, but it's worth mentioning this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. God always knows what's best. God always knows best. Now, here's the problem. Sometimes you and I, what we do is we, we say, oh, God doesn't know best. Let's put my name in there. Matt always knows best. Sarah always knows best. James always knows best. We replace that, the word God, with our name. And, and maybe we wouldn't come out and say that, but based on our actions, that's exactly what we're saying. I know better than God. I know better than, than the creator and the designer of life. The reality is that God knows best. He always knows what's 
best. King Saul is told by God, you're not going to be the king any longer, but he's desperately holding on, and he's jealous of David, so he's going to do everything he can in his power, anything possible to hold on to the kingdom, even though God has already told him you're not going to be the king much longer. And therefore, Saul does something that he's never done before. He attempts to murder David. We continue on the story, 1 Samuel 18, verse 10. Saul was holding a spear, and he hurled it at David, thinking, I will pin David to the wall. Jealousy makes people do some crazy things. Because King Saul lost sight of the fact that David was his number one warrior, his top soldier. King Saul, because of jealousy, lost sight of the fact that David had killed their actual real enemy, Goliath. King Saul had lost sight of the fact that his top warrior, his top warrior, because of jealousy, is now going to be turned into his top enemy. He's made his number one warrior his number one enemy. And at this point, moving forward, it begins this pursuit, this massive hunt of King Saul pursuing David. He threw a spear at him. David avoided it. He threw a second spear. David avoided it. But now this massive hunt takes place, all out of character for Saul because of jealousy eroding him from the inside out. You could write this down in your notes if you're taking them. Jealousy destroys you from the inside out. King Saul is, is, is doing all these things that he's never done before. He's pursuing in this hunt his top warrior, his top soldier. So meanwhile, David goes off. He's on the run. He, he takes off, and, and he's trying to get away from the, the, uh, the, the army of King Saul. So David and some of his men, they go out to the desert. They're in the, the desert of En Gedi, and they go back into a cave, and they're hiding. They're resting because they know Saul is in hot pursuit of David. They want to kill David. And he's back in the back of the cave. Meanwhile, King Saul has recruited 3,000 people in the Israelite army to pursue the number one warrior of the Israelite army. So King, King Saul is pursuing David. David's tucked back in the, in the back of a cave. And I can only imagine that David is struggling, thinking, is this your plan, God? This is what you have for me? Because it wasn't too long ago, God, that, that I was walking around with the head of Goliath and people were chanting my name, David, David. It wasn't too long ago, God, that, that I was out walking along the streets and the women came out with their tambourines and, oh, David, you're so fine, you're so fine, you're so fine. hey, David. It wasn't too long ago. <laughs> it wasn't too long ago, God, that you told me that I'm going to become the king of Israel. Now I'm tucked away in some cave in the middle of the desert. Is this really your plan? Is this what your best is? And while David is tucked away with some of his men trying to escape from Saul, the, the army with Saul gets a little bit closer and closer and closer. In fact, if you read through this whole story, 1 Samuel 18, chapter 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, there's a lot of rich content in there in the scripture about this pursuit, this hunt that's taking place. But let's jump in 1 Samuel chapter 24. This is where Saul's army catches up to David unknowingly. 1 Samuel 24, starting in verse 2. Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags or the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there, and Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in that cave. Now, what are the chances that of everywhere on planet Earth that this particular cave that David's hiding in happens to be the one where King Saul goes in to take a leak? What are the chances? So 3,000 people in this army, 3,000 people are waiting outside of the cave. Saul says, I'll be right back. He goes into the cave. He's a lone wolf. He's on his own. His whole army is outside of the cave. And David and his men are in there. And the David's men are like, what? Are you kidding? David, we thought we were stranded. We thought we were stuck. We thought God had abandoned you. But now's your chance. Go and kill the king because then you'll become the king. 
And, and mind you, David, David wasn't squeamish about killing people. He had already cut the head off of Goliath. He had killed tens of thousands of other people. So it's not that he was squeamish about killing people, but in this particular instance, he knew that God hadn't told him to kill the king. His buddies are like, go kill the king. He's right there. He's alone. He's unarmed. Go get him. But David's like, the time's not right. God didn't tell me to do this, and I can't do it. If God didn't tell me, I know God said I would become king, but he didn't tell me to kill the king. Perhaps this whole scenario is why David later on wrote, in Psalm 37, 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. How many times do we want God's blessings for our life right now? How many times do we want what, what we feel God owes us and we want it right now? David's there hiding away in this cave, has the chance to kill the king and become the king himself, but he knows in his heart that's not right. God didn't tell me to do it. So instead, he sneaks up behind King Saul as he's relieving himself. He cuts off a piece of his robe, and he allows King Saul to leave. He doesn't touch him, doesn't kill him. King Saul goes out to his army of 3,000 people outside of this cave waiting for him, at which point David, with a piece of the cloak in his hand, walks out of the cave as well to face the army of 3,000 men. And here's what happens. 1 Samuel 24, 8, David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord, the king... When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Basically what this means is that he just lays flat out on the ground. What a position of vulnerability. These 3,000 men could easily, I mean, he can't get up and run away very easily. He's making himself very vulnerable and humbled before the king. At which point, as he's laying down vulnerable, here's, here's what David says, verse 10. David says to Saul, he says, This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered me into, in, delivered you into the hands of the cave. Some urged me to kill you, Saul, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay a hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. Verse 11, see, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I have cut off the corner of the robe but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. You're wronging me, Saul, but I'm doing what's right. I'm doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord, and you could take my life. I'm laying down humbled and vulnerable before you. You could kill me if you want to, but I'm going to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. And then something fascinating takes place. Because David did what's right, it inspired and motivated Saul to do what's right. Now, this is out of character for Saul to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. He was rejected to be the king of Israel because he wasn't doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But look at what happens. Saul responds in verse 17 back to David. He says, you, David, are more righteous than I. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good that you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him go, get away, get uh, unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way that you treated me today. Now, mind you, 3,000 warriors are there to kill him, to kill David. And now Saul is changing his tune. He's saying, may the Lord reward you well for how you've treated me. And then Saul says probably what's most shocking so far in verse 20. Saul says to David, he says, I know that you, David, will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Finally, King Saul is saying, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let go of the kingdom. 
I've been holding on to this kingdom. God's told me I'm not going to be the king anymore. But finally, he's saying it out loud. You know what, David? You're going to be the king. This will be your kingdom. Finally, Saul is listening to God. He's finally obedient. Why? Because David was obedient first. David led by example. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. When you honor God, others follow your lead. Dads, there is no greater challenge that I can challenge you with on Father's Day than for you to honor God so other people follow your lead. When you honor God, your wife, your kids will honor God. When you're obedient, dads, to God, your your family will be obedient to God. When you listen to God, your family will listen to God. When you are the leader of your family as God has designed you to be, dads, other people will follow, most specifically your family will follow. Which is why I'm so excited, because today we are launching a brand new ministry called uh, Trail Life. And Trail Life is an opportunity to give dads the opportunity, the chance, the platform to be able to lead their sons well. This doesn't exist anywhere in the four corners, and we're launching a brand new ministry. And to give you kind of an idea of what it's all about, I wanted to share a promo video with you. Check it out. something greater than themselves. This is the Trail Life. Trail Life USA. Trail Life is is an organization that meets all over the United States. And there's thousands and thousands of people that are a part of it. Now, families, moms and dads, if you want your son to be taught up in the the ways of the Lord, this is a great organization for them to be a part of, and we are starting a brand new chapter here at Pinion Hills, and I'm very grateful and excited for that, and for the leaders who who have already stepped forward and said, I want to roll in this. So dads, even if you're not a dad, if you want to have a a role in leading some of these other young men in our community, this is a great opportunity for you to serve, and for you to have a legacy, and for you to, to to build other people up in the ways of the Lord. When you honor God, other people follow your lead. This is a great way for you to do that, guys. Now, I'm sure the women in the, the audience, too, you're like, well, what about the girls? What about them? Well, we also have an organization called American, Her- American Heritage Girls that we're also starting. Very similar to Trail Life for the guys, but it's designed for girls. So moms, if you want to be involved in that, uh, out in the, the plaza, there's a whole table set up for interest life groups. I would encourage you, if you're not already in an interest life group, go and sign up for one of those. We've had many new groups sign up and launch just this week alone. My challenge to you is don't just sign up for something. Actually show up, participate, and be a part of an interest life group. But there's also a table in the center of the plaza that is information for Trail Life and American Heritage Girls. And if you want information as far as how you can build a legacy and pour into other people and lead them by your example, I want to encourage you, go out there. If anything, just sign up to get more information. So you can sign up your kids or you can sign up to serve. Either way, I would encourage you, make your life matter and count. But dads... 
Dads, specifically because this is Father's Day, you are set up to be the leader in your home. You are designed to be the leader for your wife, for your kids, and I want to challenge you, don't take that responsibility lightly. Take it seriously. How do you become a man after God's own heart? Step one, examine your own heart. Is there anything that is not of God in your heart? Step two, take out whatever giant stands between you and God. Be willing to kill off that giant. And step three, honor God no matter what. Even if it's uncomfortable, even if you're tired of waiting, even if you feel like it's not part of your plan, honor God no matter what. That being said, all the dads in the audience, would you please stand for our closing prayer so I can pray a blessing over you? Thank you for being here. You are here on Father's Day, and that says something. Just your presence here says something about your leadership and who you are and your character and your integrity. Thank you for being here. Let's pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each one of these men, each one of these dads that's standing right now. Will you give them the strength to be the leader that you have called them and designed them to be? God, no matter their past, no matter, no matter their mistakes, no matter their history, from today forward, Father, I pray that they choose to be men who honor you and that because they honor you, they would lead their wives, they would lead their, their kids, that other people would follow after because they are honoring you, their family would honor you. They are obedient to you and therefore their family would be obedient to you because they listen to you and they trust you that their families would listen and trust you. God, use these men the way that you've designed to use them in their families and their sphere of influence. And God, I thank you for them. I thank you for the fact that they're here today and, and, and willing to take on this challenge of being whittled away and challenged and sharpened to look more and more like you. May we honor you with everything that we do and everything that we say. And may we take this challenge of being a dad seriously and make you proud in the process. And we say all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you give dads a round of applause? Dads, you can take a seat as we, uh, as we wrap up here just a second. If you would like to go deeper in this conversation and, and continue on in this conversation, I want to encourage you to send a text message to 505-412-4880 with the message of deeper. What that will do is send you an automatic reply for this Bible study that we're starting uh, called Goliath Must Fall. Now, uh, what this basically is, it's, a, it's a, a study that Louis Giglio from Atlanta wrote. It's a great book. They condensed the book down into a seven-day Bible study, and it's all about how to take out giants that are in your life. And so I would encourage you, if you want to continue on and go deeper in this study, send a text message, 505-412-4880, with a message of deeper, and you'll get a link where you can click on that, and you can be a part of uh, the Version Bible study. If you don't have a smartphone, you've got a dumb phone, you can go to phcc.church to go to the resources page, and you can start it from there as well. If you would like prayer for anything, we have a team of people up here at the very front that would love to pray for you. If you're visiting with us for the first time, I personally would love to meet you. I'll be in the bookstore, just outside of the bookstore, to give you a free gift, and thank you for being here, and I'd love to meet you myself. And as you leave here today, no matter whether you're a dad or not, just know that when you honor God, other people will follow your lead. So be a leader who is worth following. Thank you for joining us today. Happy Father's Day, and enjoy the car show outside. We'll see you next week.